1: Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with Bob Willard about the business case for sustainability related initiatives. This is a big one for civil engineers because everyone, I feel like, is trying to jam sustainability down the throats of civil engineers and civil engineering companies. And you know what? Not to say I'm against it, I think sustainability being green energy savings is great. In fact, I'm I'm looking at putting solar panels on my roof right now and I'm getting close to doing that. But the point is is if companies are going to do that, if individuals are going to do that, you need to look at the business side of it. I mean, it's great to say we want to be more sustainable, but what's the cost of doing that? And the same goes for my wife and I were here with the guy just last night going over what it's going to cost for solar, how it's going to help us with savings over time. And of course, it sets a great example for your kids being more sustainable, but there's a business side of it, and and our guest today is an expert on the business side of it. So before we get into our civil engineering conversation of the week, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPI to pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation so you get to know a little bit about him before we dive into the conversation on sustainability. And once again, our guest is Bob Willard. Bob is a leading expert on quantifying and selling the business value of corporate sustainability strategies and has given over a thousand presentations to corporate, government, university, and NGO audiences. Bob applies his business and leadership experience from his 34-year career at IBM Canada to engage the business community in proactively avoiding risks and capturing opportunities by using smart environmental, social, and governance strategies. He's authored four books, The Sustainability Advantage, The Next Sustainability Wave, The Sustainability Champions Guidebook, and The New Sustainability Advantage. And he's currently co-authoring The Future Fit Business Benchmark. And in that book, he's trying to give companies interested in going sustainable, ways that they can measure it. And that's what I love about everything Bob talks about in this interview is actionable, results-driven. This is why it's, it makes sense for you. And he talks about how you can improve your profits, et cetera. Quite frankly, I think it's a great way for civil engineers to do something in their company, to take action and drive sustainability. Bob is on the core faculty of the International Society of Sustainability Professional Certificate Program, the ISSP. He, of course, Is an ISSP certified sustainability professional and received a PhD in sustainability from the University of Toronto in 2005. And it's very clear in the conversation you're about to hear that he is an expert on this topic. So let's get right into it. Let's jump into today's civil engineering conversation with Bob Willard. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: All right. Now it's time for our civil engineering conversation. Today's guest is Bob Willer from the Sustainability Advantage. Bob is the author of four books and the book entitled The New Sustainability Advantage, which is how I found Bob. Bob, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so am I, Bob. This is a topic that civil engineers are really interested in, the idea of sustainability. And you're, of course, an expert on the topic and you've talked to thousands of people about why sustainability is important, how to implement it. We're going to dive into that. But to start, Bob, just to kind of start off here, for those that are listening that hear a lot about the word sustainability and what it might be, how would you describe sustainability in your own words?
2: Well, there's certainly no lack of definitions <laughs> of sustainability. The, the one that's used most of the time is the so-called Brentland definition that uh, is named after the lady that did a book called Our Common Future. And she says that sustainable development is meeting the needs of the present generation without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So that's an intergenerational responsibility kind of definition. There's another definition, is actually a definition that is called flourishing by John Ehrenfeldt, the possibility that humans and other forms of life on Earth will flourish forever. So that's a little more than just future generations, it's forever, and it includes other generations. The definition that I like, which is (laughs) short enough to remember, is only four words, which is enough for all forever. So that's enough of everything for all, all people, all species, forever, which is <laughs> certainly more than the next quarter from a business perspective. And it gets into the intergenerational aspect. So essentially, we're trying to make sure that human civilization can thrive on this planet, this finite planet, forever.
1: Wow, that's a great definition because it's simple and people can remember it and it has a lot of meaning, which is great because I agree I've heard some of those other definitions. And I think that they're, they make sense and they have meaning, but to try to remember that and to try to talk to someone about it, especially as a civil engineer, as a component of your project could be a little bit tricky. So that's a great way to think about it and set the stage for jumping into it here a little bit more. So the words sustainability advantage are attached to you. They're your website, your book, it has those words in it. Why is sustainability an advantage for corporations? What makes it an advantage
2: It's intuitively obvious once you get into it, but strangely, it's been very, very hard to get businesses to recognize that it could be an advantage. That is to say that it could be an advantage to them if they were to do more on the environmental and social issues than they already are. First of all, they don't think it's their role to do that. Secondly, they've always viewed it as a bit of a slowdown of whatever it is that they're doing if they were to pay more attention to those things. And thirdly, they they would probably call it a sacrifice more than an advantage. So it was deliberately provocative to use the words sustainability advantage in the title of my first book, and it's kind of stuck since then. What I really try to do is help companies recognize there are some direct, but especially indirect benefits from companies paying attention to environmental and social things more than they already are. The direct benefits are usually savings, roughly on four things. The so-called low-hanging fruit of sustainability initiatives, which are savings on their energy bill by using less, their water bill by using less, their waste bill by producing less, and their materials bill by substituting materials or dematerialization, those kinds of things. So you don't have to really push a company too hard to get them to want to save money. Saving money on energy, water, material, and waste sounds like just a flat-out smart business thing to do. But usually there aren't enough savings from that to be able to get them to really do more. And that's where you have to get into the indirect benefits, the reputational benefits that the company can tap into if their customers see them doing some things that they think are the right things to do on these things, their customers that share those values may be more inclined to buy from them. So there's opportunity on the revenue side of the profit and loss statement that they can actually make more money either because of that or because they're producing products that companies are producing more and more of these days that have environmental attributes, better health attributes, those kinds of things. So they can make more money. They can save money. They may be able to attract and retain some of the top talent out there. They may be able to engage their employees who really feel strongly that the company and they themselves would like to do more on some of the issues that they're more concerned about, like climate change or homelessness or healthcare or education, those kinds of things. And they want to volunteer in the community and the company supports them doing that. And interestingly, they become more engaged in their day job too, more innovative, more productive. So there are some direct benefits, the savings and indirect benefits, which is making more money, attracting more people and getting more productivity from your
1: employees. So I'm hearing a lot of great indirect benefits that you just went through as far as engagement and other items that make a lot of sense, talent acquisition, et cetera. And I'm not a rocket scientist when it comes to business, but if you're saving on your expenses and you're increasing your revenues, that would lead to potentially sizable increase in your profits, which is the reason companies operate. I mean, most companies anyway. So I guess the obvious follow-up question, Bob, is why don't more companies try to become more sustainable if there's so many benefits to it?
2: I think it's because we've done a lousy job of monetizing those benefits. What I said before was all rhetoric, right? It's just sort of general qualitative statements. Things are going to get better. The language of business normally has some quantification, at least monetization, of the benefits. So that's what I, I think we need to do a better job of. And and the book that you're referring to, the new new Sustainability Advantage shows that if a company were simply to do what other companies have already done, just cream off the best practices from companies out there that have done things on energy, water, material, and waste, and other social issues as well, and were simply to do those things, how much better would it be? How much more profit would they make? And the answer is they would make 51 to 81% more profit than they're making today if they were simply to do best practices of other companies. And if they decided to take a pass on this, they could be jeopardizing their profit by 16 to 36%. So that's after doing years of research, looking at hundreds of cases of, of companies, looking at the, the spectrum of companies from small services companies to large manufacturing companies. And that's why there's a range there of 51 to 81% and 16 to 36% downside. If a company says, yeah, 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 but I don't really get that, I don't think that applies to us and I don't have time to figure it out. I've done is provided free open source spreadsheets that allow them to plug in numbers that are relevant to them and see what's possible for them. So we're trying to provide tools to companies and people working with those companies to help them really size what's possible for them if they were to be more engaged on this.
1: That's great. And we're going to link to uh, Bob's website in the show notes of this show, just so you can access some of these tools and and take a look at the great information that he has. But Bob, one... I guess a comment that when you talk to companies or when you hear a company say something like we're implementing some new sustainability initiatives, for some reason, and maybe this is just because of where we're at right now with these terms and with this process, it seems like the initial knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, geez, you're going to do like, that's going to be a lot of work or, oh, man, you're doing that. There's like an initial, I mean, it should be like, oh, great. That's great. You're going to becoming more sustainable. But it seems like taking on this mega challenge, is that something that you've seen? Like the mindset seems to be a little like it's a big thing that they're trying to overcome as, as opposed to a benefit they're implementing.
2: Yeah, there are several dimensions of that mindset that really show how much inertia there is in the system. You're quite right that doing more on the environmental and social side could possibly be an engine for more profit just is is totally out of the spectrum of possibilities for most business people because the word environment, the word green, the, the word even sustainable has so much baggage with it, most of it regulatory baggage, that companies just can't fathom that this could actually be something which is going to pay off for them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the time that it's going to take before that payoff happens, because there's another myth out there, which is, sure, 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 we're going to invest something now, but it's going to take forever to pay that back. The return on investment is way too long outside of the norms that we have as a company. So we can't do it. So there's the idea that you have to grow old to wait for this stuff to pay off, which is simply not the case. There are companies that are doing amazing things and having payback periods realm of six to 12 months. Because a lot of these things are behavior changes. They're not big technological investments. Most of it has to do with behavior changes, employee behavior changes. And the secret sauce of all of this is getting employees engaged. They will figure this stuff out and they'll be able to do it in a smart, profitable way with the company if they sense that the company is serious about it. Otherwise, they won't waste their time.
1: And that's exactly where I want to go next. So this podcast is focused on helping civil engineering professionals at all experience levels provide more value to their clients, to their companies, and become very successful as civil engineers. And I think that this presents a huge advantage because if you are a civil engineer at any experience level, whether you're the CEO of a company or whether you're a young project manager, there's an opportunity here to bring sustainability into your workplace, into your projects into a part of you that then communicates to other people that look at you, look at your company. And I think that it can be powerful. And I think that there's benefits for everybody involved, like Bob said earlier on in the show. So Bob, if I am working for a company at any level and I decide that I want to take some initiative here and I want to help my company to become more sustainable for all the reasons we talked about, for the environment, for the world, for our betterment of the company, the profits, et cetera but I don't know a ton about it. What are some things I can do right off the bat to try to inspire some change? The first
2: thing is you want to make sure that you protect your credibility. It's one thing to have a passion for these things, but you want to make sure that you don't use that as the only reason that companies should do more than they're already doing. There are three major justifications for a company ever doing anything, sustainability kinds of initiatives or any kind of initiative. The first one is, it's the right thing to do. The second one is that this is going to be a smart financial thing for us to do, financial benefits. That's the sizing that I was talking about. And the third one is that we can reduce risks. And if you can show what those risks might be, the risks especially of not doing it, companies are very, very risk averse. I'd say from my experience when I worked in IBM Canada for 34 years, At least 80% of the decisions that I made and I saw made in the company were risk avoidance rather than opportunity capture type things. If you step back and you say, well, how's it been going for those of us that have been advocating these kinds of initiatives for companies? Not very well, because the justification that we have been leading with is it's the right thing to do, justification, thinking that that is going to carry the day. And rightly or wrongly, companies aren't allowed to do things just because they're the right things to do. If they're going to do damage to the company financially and not have anything to do with reducing risk, they're not allowed to do them. So we have to have a better combination of these things. Of course, it's the right thing to do, but we need to be able to support that with more normal rationalization for why this is a smart business decision. So whether you're a civil engineer or whether you are simply someone else in the organization that really cares about these things, you need to be able to talk the language of the people who are going to make the decision. And most of those folks need to be able to support their decision with some numbers. So the more you understand and can articulate the benefits of these suggested projects or suggested approaches using quantified language, the better your chances are of having people sit still long enough to listen. Otherwise, they're too busy. They just, they won't have the time. So the right thing to do is a powerful, powerful argument if the purpose of the company has anything to do with making sure that they're good stewards of the environment and society. But very often, those things are more plaques on a wall than they are actually in business strategies. And we need to be able to show that activating those ideas, the purposes of the business, will bring some really, really good benefits to the company.
1: That's great. And those are a great step in the back of your mind, the right thing to do, the financial benefits, and then the idea of reducing risks and what they might look like. And it'll be different for every company, most likely maybe not terribly different if they're all civil companies but the point is is if you have that there it's helping you to build a case and i do believe that this can really help you in your career because it's a great thing to implement and it can kind of get you going i mean and i do think that there are a lot of these intangible things that can be tough to measure i mean like for example there's a whole foods store near me and i shop there one of the things i like about it is all the sustainability things that they do and it's not like they're just saying that they're doing it they just put solar on their roof so they're living it out. And it makes me as a customer feel good to go there and shop there. And I think the same would apply in other industries like civil engineering, that people are going to like to work for companies. So, I mean, that, that obviously shouldn't be the only reason you do it. But when you're looking at the benefits financially and trying to quantify some of those things, these are things that I believe need to be considered. So in Bob's book, we don't, we're not going to get through all this stuff today, but in Bob's book, he does talk about the different stages of sustainability. And if this is something that you want to tackle you should dive into some of his content. And again, we're going to have that all on the website, on the show notes for this podcast, which I'm going to walk you through and give you the link to. But before we jump into our hot seat segment at the end where we talk about personal professional development with Bob, Bob, assuming that this stuff happens and you're able to get some change in your company or you happen to see a company that is, quote unquote, sustainable, kind of future fit company, How would you recognize a company like this? What are some things that you would see if you're describing one?
2: Yeah, it's a question that was haunting me for almost a dozen years before I finally stepped up and tried to answer it myself because I was getting more and more bent out of shape by seeing lists of companies that were deemed to be quite sustainable and ranking companies against each other as to which ones were the most sustainable companies on the planet. And I take a look at the list and see companies on there that I, I wouldn't even think would make the cut for being considered as being on the list. So then you take a look at the criteria by which they are being assessed. And that's when the the really good questions start to come. Like, where did these criteria come from? And do I agree with them? And would science agree with them? And so on. So about four or five years ago, I decided to try to answer that question better myself as to what the attributes of a truly sustainable company would be if we were ever to find one so we could just go check and verify that they are. So there are a few of us put together something which we're calling the future fit business benchmark. in other words it's a definition of the level of performance, the benchmark level of performance that a company needs to attain on it turns out to be about 21 different goals, about half environmental, about half social, for it to be deemed to be a truly sustainable company that's not doing any damage to the planet and maybe can actually do some good. So what we're calling this is a, a business that creates value, value for itself, value for society, value for environment without doing any damage and hopefully being a little bit restorative to the planet and to society. It's a pretty low bar, frankly, of the release one of the Future Fit Business Benchmark, which is available at futurefitbusiness.org. It's a free open source resource, and companies can see what those things are and assess themselves against it in terms of how much renewable energy they're using, how much waste they're producing, how much greenhouse gases they're producing, the usual kinds of things. Essentially, a truly sustainable future fit business is one that is attaining the level of performance that we have defined based on best available science on those 21 goals. That's how we'd recognize one. That's just to get to the point of the break even point. If they want to really thrive, then they can start being a little bit restorative to those things, not only doing no harm, but actually being restorative. And we're working on release two of the benchmark now, which we'll get into the metrics around that as well. But the biggest challenge in the the first release was the metrics. How the heck do you add it all up? And especially if you are holding companies accountable, not only for their own operational impacts, but the impacts that happen throughout their value chain, especially their supply chain. So 13 of those 21 goals apply to their suppliers and their suppliers, suppliers, and their suppliers, 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 and so on. So what we're saying is that companies are mutually accountable for all of those impacts. They can't just farm out the dirty stuff to someplace else and think that they are, you know, good corporate citizens. They are mutually accountable for those things, and that's a, that's a very different ball game for most companies. They've been able to duck that for the last 250 years, but not so much anymore. Society is getting a little bit more demanding on this, and it's about time.
1: That's great. And the thing that's great about it is metrics. And I think if you're talking to engineers about implementing something, obviously any good business is going to want to look at metrics and be able to measure return on investment. But especially if you're an engineer and you're trying to sell sustainability and you have guidelines like Bob just explained that he's creating to be able to show a company, then I think you're going to be, it's going to make it easier for you to sell it if it's easier to measure it. And that's my own opinion. And we'll see how this goes. And again, we're going to link to all Bob's information. But it's definitely a good framework for you to work off of when you're, you're trying to, quote-unquote, sell sustainability to your company.
2: I should also mention that I've got a draft of my next book also on my website, which is called the Sustainability Advantage Ultimate Workbook. So it's altbook for short, which will allow people to have every possible dimension of a business case included in the way in which they total up all of the potential benefits. So not only making more profit, but perhaps the way in which what they're going to do might impact the balance sheet appropriately, maybe even the share price outside the company, help fulfill its purpose, which is that other justification, and put numbers beside all of that. So that is going to be released in November, but a draft of it is available for comment right now on my website. And the intent is to make this a very, very, very robust business case. Something that catches everything that might be a, a benefit or a co benefit and puts some numbers beside it so that it's easier for people that make decisions to make the right with decisions.
1: All right. So now we're going to transition into our CE hot seat segment where we're going to fire off a series of questions to Bob that will focus on personal and professional development. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPI to pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. All right, Bob, welcome to the CE hot seat. Are you ready for some personal and professional development questions? Sure. <laughs> Go for it. All right, first question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or lunchtime ritual or things that you do consistently on a daily basis that contribute to you being a successful professional?
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, what I do is I I subscribe to a number of news clip services that report on good things that companies are doing all over the world, about a dozen of them. So one of my rituals is to go through those daily updates on news articles, and if I find ones that are really, really good, especially ones that quantify the benefits, I add that to my master slide set that I produce for people that want to subscribe to it. So I keep track of all of that so that as as a speaker, and that's what I do. I'm not a consultant. I'm, I'm a speaker. I do 80 to 100 talks a year to audiences all over the world, as many of them virtually as possible. But I need to be credible and make sure I'm on top of current things that are going on. So that's the first ritual I do.
1: Bob, how do you do that? Do you have like one feed that you use through? Or do you just bookmark the blogs or how do you do that?
2: Pretty basic. Most of these organizations like Green Biz or Environmental Leader and so on have things that you can subscribe to. You just go to the website and subscribe to their daily update, Triple Pundit. There are some really, really good ones out there. So it's... Pretty straightforward, and they just come into my in-basket. I find that I I don't have the discipline to be able to voluntarily go and check stuff. Uh, If it's in my in-basket, I I take a look at it. So I go through those every day to stay on top of what's going on and the latest and greatest evidence that this is good stuff. The second thing I do is, and this is an ongoing challenge for me, but it's really trying to keep my carbon footprint under control as much as possible. I'm a speaker, and people like to see you in person. But I'm really trying not to travel because flights are really a, a big problem if you're trying to control your carbon footprint and walking the talk on this stuff. So a lot of my daily ritual is trying to figure out how the heck I can do what I do without carbon footprint that would normally be associated with it. So I do a lot of talks by webinar technology using Adobe Connect people want to have lunch with me or coffee meetings with me and I have what I call virtual coffee sessions where we meet over Skype they have a cup of coffee in front of them I have a cup of coffee beside me and and we have coffee but it's a virtual coffee meeting they don't have to travel I don't have to travel it saves time saves carbon it really works well with the technology today especially if you know the person a little bit in the first place that's perfectly fine it's not quite the same as being there in person and I love being there in person but I'm really trying to see how far I can go on walking the talk on the things I'm advocating for others on that. So that's my other daily ritual. All
1: right. What is one book that you recommend to professionals on a regular basis or one book that you found to be extremely helpful for you in your personal and professional development?
2: Goodness, I've got a library of books behind me here. The book that really got my attention initially because I'm interested in the quantification of business benefits is a book called Natural Capitalism. Natural Capitalism has been out for a long, long time. It was written by Amory Lovins, Hunter Lovins, and Paul Hawken, and it's a Bible. It is just so upbeat and positive with really good concrete quantified examples in it, and it's still excellent. The second book is also by one of those authors, Paul Hawken, which is The Ecology of Commerce, which is brilliantly, brilliantly written. The man's almost a poet. He's so good with language. But both of those books are, to me, Bibles that are outstanding examples of possibilities and articulated in very effective ways.
1: All right. And our last question... Is what we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question, which is if you got into an elevator with a civil engineering professional, you had about 30 or 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give him or her some career advice in that short period of time. It could be any career advice. doesn't necessarily have to be engineering related. What would it be?
2: It would be get really good at what you're trained to do. That is to say your civil engineering expertise, whether it's mechanical engineering or whatever, get really good at that. Your credibility as an engineer, it needs to be very, very protected and stay current on that. The second thing is, as you see issues that you would like to do something to address, be able to connect the dots between your expertise and the kinds of attributes or benefits that you can ensure that those projects have. So if you're building a bridge or if you're building a library or if you're building an office building or you're part of the group that is engineering that, You can bring a a new set of lenses on the materials that are used, the way in which it's positioned, the way in which it's going to add to the community vibrancy, especially if it's a library as a meeting place, the way in which you use light, all of those things at very, very little extra cost, but huge social and environmental benefit. So we're getting better and better at this. And the civil engineering community can have an enormous impact on the built infrastructure where most of the problems are. Being found, and you can solve them either by retrofitting or by making sure that the new buildings fit a different level of standards and attributes than the current ones do. So, you folks are all over the world. I mean, you touch everything that moves, and infrastructure is a huge, huge challenge in every society on the planet. So, the way in which we replenish, refurbish infrastructure is something that you can have an enormous influence on, and I really encourage you to. Think of ways that you can do that in a positive way.
1: Excellent. All right. Once again, Bob Willard from sustainabilityadvantage.com. The show notes for this episode will be at civilengineeringpodcast.com, episode number 43. You will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We will monitor all the comments and we'll respond if you leave us one. Bob, thanks for taking the time with us here today.
2: It's a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: And thank you to you, the listener, for signing in once again. And until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering career endeavors.